0: Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about piercing hygiene. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller, and I use she, her
1: pronouns. My name is Micah Silver, and I'm a child care provider, and I use they, them pronouns.
2: My name is Grayson Hack. I am the substance abuse expert today, (laughs) and my pronouns are they, them.
0: (laughs) Before we get going, I just want to apologize ...that we missed a bunch of episodes, like almost a month's worth of episodes. We told you that we were moving across country and that things were going to be weird. They were, in fact, weird. And then Micah got COVID. So then things got screwed up even further. And then life happened. And anyway, we're really sorry. And going forward, we're going to release the TV episodes on a Wednesday... And the movie episodes will continue to come out on the Friday. And it should only take us a month or two to the point where we're back on schedule. And then at that point, we'll go back to the schedule that's published on the Patreon. We're not disappearing. We just had a weird month and there was no way for either of us to pick up the slack because it was happening to both of us at the same time. Anyway, today... We're talking about 13 directed by Catherine Hardwick. This is our first Catherine Hardwick and also Catherine Hardwick's first movie, and it's definitely an interesting one. Trigger warnings right up top. This movie is full of basically every topic that you could possibly be triggered about. So, eating disorders, self harm, drug use, addiction, depression, addict parent. Yeah, all of that stuff's in here. So, I totally understand if you want to skip this one, but I definitely think you should watch this movie. Oh, you should it's absolutely watch this movie. An incredible and powerful and visceral movie, and a wonderful yeah, piece of film work as but well. But you might have to take it in bites because we all had to take it in bites.
2: Yeah, take it in bites.
0: Don't try to watch it at once, like yeah, I did. It's not a. It's not a great. Not, not, yeah, not. I mean, it's sense. it's good. It's you will get a lot out of it if you watch it all at once, but you will have to unpack it with your therapist the next day. So just... But anyway, we wanted to do this movie, first of all, because Catherine Hardwick has done some other stuff that we want to talk about, but also because I struggled with addiction as a child and with addicted you know, parents who were addicts. Um, and so talking about this was really personal for me. And I know also for Grayson, which is, I think, why you wanted
2: to come on here yeah i just i chose 13 when you sent me the list of movies you were looking at because of how much that movie resonated with me as a teenager both looking at it in a skewed manner as well as now looking back on it after i have lived the life that i've lived and wanting to like actually talk about teenage addiction and like specifically teenage girlhood addiction how fucking hard that is yeah yeah
1: absolutely
0: so if you haven't watched this movie and you don't plan to the the basic plot is our main character Tracy played by Evan Rachel Wood is sort of a good girl who falls in with a cool crowd who are also wrapped up in a bunch of toxic behaviors like you know drugs and alcohol and then we sort of watch Tracy unravel as she gets deeper and deeper into her sort of struggle with like addiction and stuff. So yeah, it's very, it's very intense and it's very interesting and it's very visceral. And I totally don't blame you if you didn't watch it. <laughs> it's
2: also very beautiful. It's it is
0: so beautiful. The camera work is like amazing.
1: The writing is also incredible. And yeah. it's like, it's, it's one of the better pieces of film work we've seen on the podcast. definitely.
0: For sure. sure.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at Anthro267. Subscribe to the Patreon at patreon.com slash anthro267. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, thank you and enjoy.
2: I am not invalidating the experiences you guys went through but i think i can say with certainty that this movie resonates with me oh absolutely that it doesn't for hopefully a lot more teenagers, yeah. teenage girls than not but like man yeah also i have like sudden imposter syndrome over it question
1: mark oh that's a that's a fun one i never
0: don't get imposter syndrome on this podcast yeah i always feel like who am i like i'm not a cultural critic i didn't i haven't written a book i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about but you do right like your lived experience counts for something it's not nothing
2: exactly like i don't know i definitely know i've gone through more experiences that tracy did than not but for some reason it still feels so odd
0: but like that is what the show is right like the show is we all had a weird childhood because we are trans and gay and whatever else and like whatever other stuff we went through contributing factor is always gonna be our identity yeah right
2: Absolutely, man. Thirteen was like I feel the like beginning it, of that identity search. I was just spiraled. Into I was gonna shit. say,
1: I think thirteen is really where a lot of that identity crisis started. Absolutely, yeah. and like I remember specifically seventh grade being so
0: hard. And uh, it's yeah, seventh and eighth grade feels like uh, like there should just be a therapy session every day. I mean, puberty's in full swing by that point. Well. Male puberty's in full swing by that point, right? Like, AFAB puberty starts at, like, 10, 11, 12.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we've been going through it.
0: Yeah, and there's just, like, so much... That's one of those points where we talk about, right, where the community building and individuation, like, clash against each other. Because you've spent so much of your life, like, trying to figure out who you are in school and then also what groups within school you're a part of right and that was the first time i remember like consciously being aware of that dissonance
1: yeah i (laughs) in the middle of my seventh grade year i changed schools yeah and oof, yeah that really brought forward like how bad my identity crisis was because i had a chance to become someone new and like really examine like who do i want to be and i really had the chance to realize i don't fit in because like i also went from a school of a class of 500 to a school of 200 jesus and so like i i all of the sudden was part of a very small knit community who had already spent a year and a half together, who already had social circles in place and, you know, like trying to figure out how I fit in and not really ever fitting in anywhere, Yeah, which was really interesting. And it also like, I don't know, it also was like the first time that I started realizing that like my clothes matter Oh, in a yeah, huge way totally. that I don't remember in other years previous. Yeah, I
0: remember like up until 10 or 11, like I would just wear whatever. A lot of the shirts I had were like hand me down tourist shirts from places I'd never been or like sports teams I didn't know about. Maybe a dragon shirt or two. I feel like, no, that's like 13 is when that, like 13, 14 is when that stuff started. Okay. Because, like, before that, I mean, granted, a bar- part of it was that we were poor. But, like, before that, I would have worn whatever. Like, one of my favorite shirts was, still remember, from Iron Wolf, the Six Flags ride. Okay. Wow. Uh, there's a ride at Six Flags called Iron Wolf. It's a standing, it's one of those standing coasters. Yeah, fuck that. And I had so many people <laughs> ask me questions. Like, oh, do you like roller coasters? I'm like... I just got a wolf on it. So, <laughs> real wolf girl. <laughs> I don't know. I was just like an animal girl. I when I was That's, a kid, yeah. if I would have told you that I was gonna grow up and be a biologist until like fifteen. Probably.
2: Totally, I wanted to be a vet for the longest fucking yeah. time. Oh yeah, I was marine biologist. I was a <laughs> dolphin girl.
0: Oh, oh how I feel many like-
2: summers
1: did you spend in the pool? making dolphin noises oh oh no i was always a mermaid when i was in the pool no just just a land dolphin just a land dolphin (laughs) something i related to in this movie that i think is i really appreciated seeing and like having a conversation about is like having the cool parents and still not liking them and not see and like people not seeing them for like the trouble that they put on to you because oh, like really? my house was the safe house you know like my mm-hmm. house was the one that everyone wanted to come to and I was the one who always wanted I was like no can we go to your house please like give I, me the I fuck space <laughs> right <laughs> I need space like it's not my safe house you kind of get like gaslit into like thinking like am I like a complete dick or asshole because I don't like my parents and everyone else does yeah but You just like, you see them in a different light, and you have different interactions with them that other people don't really have. And it's really interesting to like have to play with that dynamic. And I think Dave did a really good job in this movie.
0: It's like, I mean, this is not an accusation at your parents in particular, this is just a larger point. That, like, that is one of the essential problems with abuse. Yeah. Is that people get to be abusers by being good at fooling people. Exactly. Right? Like, if you came off as an abuser immediately, everyone would run. So, like, you have to be charming and able to put on a certain air and also able to recover from your abuse. Like, that's (laughs) the abuse cycle. And so, like, it's the same situation where, you know, you go out with your abusive boyfriend and everybody's like, wow, I love him. He's so great. But, like, that's only, it's all a trick, right? right. It's all a facade in order, like, specifically because uh, he's actually a terrible person.
1: Right. Because that's how you isolate people. Right. And that's how you make them easier to manipulate because no one will believe them. Right. And, yeah, so that was always, it was really interesting and really, like, I related to this movie more than I was expecting to, which was really interesting, and I think is a real uh, credit to Catherine Hardwick and Nikki Reed for how they yeah. wrote it. Great, yeah. Nikki- the
2: overall fucking emotion that is able to just be drawn from like every fucking scene yeah. is yeah.
0: beautiful. It's, it's stunning, and like I, tr- I really think a big part of of why this movie works and why it feels so good is because like Catherine Hardwick and Nikki Reed who plays Evie wrote this movie together yeah and basically like produced and created this movie together and that it's sort of like loosely based on Nikki Reed's life like I don't think you'd be able to get that any other way like so often directors aren't that intimately connected like almost never are directors that intimately connected with the subject matter
1: and like to have a movie about childhood written by someone who's still a child is incredible Yeah, and like you have such a better raw view of it and have like You really feel like those deep emotions that you feel when you're a teenager and you have and it just like is so beautifully portrayed and so well written and created that like it really like pulls you back into being 13 in a way that I was not expecting. Yeah, I thought I was prepared
2: for that and I thought I was prepared to like relive those emotions and feelings, but boy, was I not. yeah. Uh, Yeah, we had a couple of (laughs)
0: moments there. I was surprised that we watched it in one sitting. I was expecting to break it up (sighs) into like two or three sittings, but it ended up just being like one really long sitting with like four
1: (laughs) cigarette breaks. Yeah. I mean, I did the same thing. It took me like, you know, I don't smoke a lot when I'm by myself, but I think I smoked two bowls while I (laughs) watched it by myself. And just like, because I was just like, I have to pause this and process and It was like, and having to dissect it for the podcast was like, I had to like keep reminding myself because I was like, nope, I can't just get lost in this emotion and just feel my feelings. I have to talk about these feelings. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I feel like I wish I would have hit a few more points to be able to talk about like the experiences and emotions that come behind so much of that. Yeah, I didn't think about it much from, like, uh, analyzing a movie point as much as, like, the experiences within the movie, because yeah. I can relate to that point so yeah. much more. totally. Yeah.
0: I think that's and, like, mostly... And, some, some
2: of the, like, cinematic things that appear in it, I can catch on to, like, how
1: the movie progressively gets darker as yeah. things yeah. get worse.
0: Physically darker and desaturated.
1: Yeah. Yeah, which was also done in such a beautifully subtle way that, like, it yeah. catches
0: you off guard near the end of the movie and you go, wait a
1: second. Shit.
0: Yeah, this so, like, it's almost oversaturated in the beginning. It really is. First meet Tracy. It, and then almost immediately it starts to desaturate when Evie and Tracy become friends.
1: Yeah, I feel like the first couple scenes are so, like... MTV in two thousand three, exactly, like yeah. it feels like a music video almost. It's totally. like the oversaturation, the like whole vibe. It of It almost the looks school. like the brightness
0: is turned right, up, exactly. like an overexposed and photo then, yeah. or something.
1: And then yeah, you like you settle into it, and it like seems like okay, the color is just like going back to normal, and the like subtleties of it. And then like and then
0: yeah, by the time you get to the end, everything's blue. And it looks like it's like Twilight. Yeah. Like that
1: scene in the bathroom
2: specifically really hits it where yeah. at the end where she like leaves class or gets kicked out, I can't remember, and sees her friend in the bathroom is like do you want to go sell on the boardwalk? Like that whole scene is just like bluey, gray, yeah. dingy. Yeah. yeah. Like, it
1: really reminded me of middle school bathrooms.
0: Oh, fucking yeah. And I, I definitely feel like it's so amazing to me that this is a first, like, this is a first director for Hardwick right? because it's so-, it's so beautiful. And, like, you could watch this movie with the sound off and with no subtitles and you would get it. Like, I, yeah. you could follow this whole movie just from, like, camera moves. I mean, obviously, like, the the acting and stuff on stage, but, like. Just like the camera moves, you you feel this movie.
1: Yeah, you can you can gather the emotions through the lens and the movement of the lens in such an interesting way. And I think it's a real credit to Catherine Hardwick's time as a production designer. Yeah, because like those are the people. At, as an old production designer person, I uh, you know like it's the you have those big picture ideas right. in your head and like, they're looking at everything. everything in a way
0: that a director is not.
1: Yeah, and like
2: you really, like... That explains why it's, like, just so... It's, like, so beautiful and so haunting and just so emotional. She
1: created such a beautiful world in, like, a very small space and on such a small budget. Yeah. And, like...
0: Two million dollars is a nothing budget.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely... It's nickels, which is, like, so fucking impressive. Well, yeah, this whole
0: movie is shot on Super 16, which is, like, basically... Basically, the cheapest film available <laughs> in 2003 because nobody makes Super 8 anymore. Like, it's all shot on hand cams. Like, it's shot with. Like, you can tell from the film yeah. stock that it's shot on cheap film because it, it, the whole thing looks kind of like grainy. And that totally adds right, to the exactly. feeling of like unease that this movie has going through it. It's
1: like. Early horror movies. Yeah, exactly. Fast.
0: Yeah, totally. It definitely
1: it, has like that handheld horror movie. Yeah, it Blair, feels like Halloween. Or or, yeah, sure. You know what it yeah. feels
0: like is Black Christmas. It,
1: it does feel like Black Christmas. A,
0: a favorite movie on this podcast that I will never stop talking about. Oh. Bob Clark classic, Black Christmas. <laughs> did better with Black Christmas <laughs> than he did with A Christmas Story. anyway.
2: Fuck that movie, man. Yeah,
0: okay. yeah, we really hated that movie on this podcast. Good. It was just
2: it's boomer just, propaganda. Yeah,
0: boomer propaganda.
2: I I didn't see it as that growing up, but, like, I've watched it as an adult, and I'm just like, cool, so it's his parents being fucking assholes to him. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah it, it definitely feels like that movie is, like, a boomer, or I guess, like, Silent Jen, like, showing his entire ass and having no idea That it's as fucked up as it is, right? It's like, wow, look at this beautiful, loving picture of the time that I grew up. It's like, dude, you know every inch of this is abuse, right? Like, you know all of this is fucking horrible.
1: Yeah. Which is really funny, especially when you compare it to 13, because it's, like, really showing the grittiness of and realism of having a childhood and, like... Is really yeah. Dense. It doesn't
0: sugarcoat no or glorify the way that that a, a Christmas story does. It's like no, it wasn't good. It sucks. Like it's hard being a teenager. Is always fucking hard. And like if you struggle with addiction or you have parents who struggle with addiction, like it's double hard and if you are some other sort of marginalized group like it's triple Triple hard hard, like there's no way in which being a child and especially a teenager doesn't suck
1: (laughs) no all teenagers need to be in therapy because growing up is traumatic yeah even in the best circumstances turning from a like especially middle school when you are like 11 12 13 and you have like that you really see it in the first couple scenes of this like some of the kids are still kids right? and others are trying to be adults adults. and it's really like there's such a binary in the system and there's no real talk about how you get from one place to the other right
0: right and yeah, yeah I think it's funny how little we talk about in school talk about like the actual process of growing up, which is such a huge part. Maybe the majority of being in school is just figuring out how to grow up from a child into an adult. And it's the thing we talk the least about in school. It's almost like you should have a designated class to talk
1: about social and emotional issues and teaching fucking ethics to your children so that they know how to move through the goddamn world. And you know, probably like... Having some
2: form... I think that all schools should have some form of fucking DVT to help kids figure out absolutely. how to deal with emotions. Yeah. Because if I had had that, I think things would have gone significantly different for me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Obviously, because you're here, like, we are huge, enormous proponents of more social and emotional learning. Absolutely. Japan. Because it's so neglected in favor of fucking test scores, which mean nothing, and don't measure anything. Yeah,
2: honestly, I just got to the point where I've refused to take those tests. Because, like, I think we had to take them in 10th grade. Yeah. And, like, I was already going to, like, the super-duper alternative school. Yeah. Um, and, which meant, like, you know, my learning was definitely less than because i went to not only an alternative school but like one that was mainly minorities so yeah. it was underfunded of course and i just ended up giving up on a lot of that shit like they sat me down to do my tests and i was like i'm just not doing these like fuck it, I'm not going to sit here through this. I'm not going to write a fucking essay for you on something that has nothing to do with what I'm trying to learn and trying to learn how to be. Yeah,
1: yeah. you don't need to know that I can write an essay in the format you need me to write Well, and
0: especially those, like, the big standardized tests... They're not giving that data to your teacher. It's not for your teacher. It's never, it's never anyone actually assessing your educational needs. It's entirely about hitting a certain bar so that you can get enough funding from the government to actually make your schools run. Yeah. Like, it has nothing. It, it's like, again, talk about this all the time. Like having money and capitalism involved in education it can only ever be destructive because like education, public schools are like a case in point for how communism works. Exactly. And how what an amazing system it can be if you take the resources that are needed and put them into a public good that everyone knows is a public good it benefits everyone if we don't, if we have dumb kids, then we have dumb future doctors and lawyers and rocket scientists. So the whole society falls apart. Like I and don't. We
1: need more dumb worker bees.
0: Exactly. Yeah,
1: but we can't. We, we can't have smart people because smart people make choices that don't help the right. billionaires.
0: Yeah, that's that's what it is.
1: Cause you know what was it,
0: the time to the, the red? I was gonna red, say time to the red flag in this record. Thirty minutes. That's, that's pretty good. good for
1: us. Because like I feel I, like
0: it's usually in the first five or ten.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I, especially with my job right now, like money and education is just like my. It's yeah, right on the tip of my tongue. Talking about lately. You need to get money out of education. Like the whole point of education is completely undermined when you bring in a bottom line right privatized education is just classism oh yeah like we're
2: keeping so many resources away from so many intelligent bright minds that can't get that because they're poor they're a minority it, they live
0: in a bad neighborhood exactly
2: they live in a bad neighborhood
1: right they're not good at a sport who right. decided that property value uh, determines education, education
0: budget that's yeah. fucking the rich because like, right. they rich because they wanted to make sure their kids ha- go to the best schools and their kids are the only ones who succeed but, and their kids are the only ones who can be doctors and lawyers
1: right because like again who does it hurt that other people are also learning like, who does it hurt to have...
0: Capitalists who need dumb worker bees. That's yeah, what it hurts.
1: Yeah, you know, you have to, fucking capitalism. It's always fucking capitalism, and it
0: Capitalism is the man, is the old man under the Scooby-Doo mask. It, Except it, every Scooby-Doo mask... Is capitalism. Is capitalism. It's time to <laughs> eat the rich, y'all. Yeah. So I really think the the elephant in the room of this, of this episode and of this movie... Is talking about addiction. And like the the first thing I want to say. Because like this is the part of it. That is my experience. That I can speak to. Is like if you are a person. Who struggles with addiction. Who has kids. Going to meetings isn't enough. Like my parents went to meetings. And I didn't learn that they were addicts. Until I was an adult. And like there's no way. To break that cycle with your kids if you're not talking about it. And, like, we talk about this on the show all the time. Like, not talking to your kids about stuff is just abdicating parenting.
2: Yeah. You know, I definitely think I, like, I agree on that hardcore because thinking back on it, like, my parents aren't addicts, but my mom's dad, he was an alcoholic. Right. Very bad alcoholic. Yeah. Drank non-alcoholic beers afterwards to help keep him sober because he missed beer so much. Wow. Yeah. And I knew that he was an alcoholic, but we never really talked about it. There's yeah. never conversations right. about it. And like now I'm kind of frustrated like really putting this two and two together. But yeah. I think had I been able to have healthier conversations about it, that uh it would have made a lot
1: of difference. Like yeah. And, like, we've seen the studies, we've done the research that, like, abstinence-only, ignoring the problem when it comes to addiction doesn't fucking work. And ignoring it and just, like, hoping your kids don't inherit that. Like, the chances, if you are an addict, the chances that your kids are going to have an addictive behavior is pretty high. It's huge. Absolutely. And, like, not talking to them about how to manage that and what to look for and how to, like, it could affect your life. Like... Um, I was very lucky and didn't really have a lot of addiction in my life life, but like I had a family line of addictive behavior and like I was very very lucky to have small conversations about it of like you need to be wary of this because this is part of your family history. Right
2: like I always got well well, you know your grandpa was an alcoholic and it's like okay like if we're not going to have a conversation behind it what does that that mean? mean? Like Okay, and then I feel like that also is a big thing. Not being able to have healthy conversations about it attributed to me not really fully admitting to being an alcoholic and what that meant. Like, I would always joke and laugh and be like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, but like, yeah, Grayson, you're an alcoholic. You have been. You have been your whole life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And like, I, both my parents are addicts. So like the odds that I would have some sort of addictive, like addictive behavior is like almost a hundred percent. And like I, if I had ever, and when I got into drugs and alcohol as a, as a teenager, which is very common for people with addiction problems, like I thought from my perspective, my parents like way incredibly overreacted. Like my parents reacted to me like I was uh, Tracy in this movie when in fact I like drank six beers and smoked two joints, you know? Right. And if I had instead had a conversation or even in addition had a conversation about like, this is always going to be a struggle for you because, because of who you are. And like, these are the things you need to look out for. This is why we're concerned. This is just a, like, this is just because we're concerned and we know what high risk you're at. Like, that would have done a world of difference where I may have been able to address that stuff. Like, I didn't, like you, I didn't address that I'm an alcoholic until I was, what, 27, 28? That was 2018? Yeah. Where I finally was like, this is a problem and it's always going to be a problem if I don't do something about it and if i had had that conversation when i was 13 then like maybe i would never have gotten myself into that situation right but like it's just it's just a thing where like i i think for me anyway i mean maybe it's not this for all like parents who are addicts but I think it's just like an embarrassment thing yeah i think a lot of the not wanting to talk to your kids about stuff is just like this is embarrassing and it makes me uncomfortable to admit my mistakes and so i'm just not going to and hope that by never mentioning mistakes to my child they'll just never make Mistakes, Like, the idea of mistakes will never enter their brain. Like, that's a thing that's possible.
1: We've said this on the podcast before, and I'm going to say it a thousand more times, I'm sure. If you are not unwilling to unpack your shit and handle all of the bullshit that is going to come up when you have a child, don't have fucking kids. Yeah. Because...
0: It's so much easier to not have kids. It's
1: so much easier not to have kids. Because kids will fucking trigger you, and kids will, like... Kids are really good about pointing out the things you hate about yourself, right? Which is-
0: and also, they don't—they don't have the like frontal lobe development to stop themselves from saying things right. they know are going to trigger you because it's—it is objectively funny. <laughs>
2: yeah, I can imagine like that probably had a huge toll on my mom as well. Like, yeah. you know, like abuse and neglect that she's been through and we've been through, and unfortunately, a lot of that neglect was at the hands of my mother because she was triggered all the time. She hadn't had time to process like being a teen mom, all the things that had happened in her childhood, all of the things that happened when we were little and she was just out there single mom in it and
0: doing her best,
2: doing her best. And like Tina had some issues like as a teen and Jordan, not so much really. I don't know. And then I, was a shit storm of a child and a yeah. teenager and part of my adulthood already but I can't even imagine like having to unpack all of that on top of being a mother
0: yeah it honestly yeah, yeah it sounds exhausting especially when you are still growing like when you have kids even at 18 like you're still growing for almost a decade after that still right. figuring out who you are And it seems so crazy to me that for so long, people have, like, you know, babies have been having babies. Like, I've met 18-year-olds. They should not have kids. No. no.
2: Absolutely (laughs) Every time I meet,
0: like, even college freshmen, I'm like, ooh, you are a child?
2: The only person I can, like, that I know of that I can accredit being a good teen mom is my cousin Lisa. She had her son. She was either 18 or 19. I can't remember right now. But she's like one of the most kick-ass moms I've ever had the chance of like watching grow. Yeah. Like she's never been a shitty mom. Yeah. She has never let Caden like have less than what he needed and
1: deserved. Like she's just incredible. How much fucking work did that take?
0: Right. So much. That's what I'm saying is like I can totally see having kids now in my 30s. Because I've taken all the time to unpack that stuff already, right? Like, I've taken the time to unpack my childhood and unpack my trauma and unpack my identity. I can't imagine having to do both those things at the same time. No,
1: no. Not at all. Even working with kids and having a lot less time with them and having to not quite parent them as much, like some days at work i am they just know how to fucking drill into you and will just like you know they know how to fucking get you overstimulated so you don't respond correctly they will just ask you straight up questions like why are you so fat or why is this like this or why and it's just like okay well kids are mean sometimes they're so
2: mean and the worst part is that they don't always realize it no they don't we don't Again, we don't teach them how to f- deal with their emotions, so they don't realize like, oh, X Y Z is happening,
1: and that's probably why I'm being mean, and I don't need to be mean. Right, and like, it's so hard to like when I have a lot of body image issues, and so like, and I am a large person, and kids are always like, oh my god, you're so big, why? And like, it's never out of malice, and it's, it's just never, curiosity. It's just curiosity, and but to, it doesn't not suck. Yeah. It doesn't not yeah. suck, and she. Yeah have to emotionally regulate myself through that to get them to have a learning opportunity to be like, to teach them a body positivity of like, even if I'm feeling shitty about myself that day and this is like a fucking knife to the gut to be like, this is my body and I love it and it takes care of me. Body's and he's just coming don't all sizes. sizes. Like, I've
0: always been this way, like, you know. like, this
1: is just how my body is. Or to like, have to justify all of your flaws in a way that is not just like screaming at these tiny children yeah right. and like giving them that opportunity like i know you're curious but sometimes we can't ask those questions and we just have to be and right. teach them it's hard and i get to say goodbye to these kids right. right like i get to go you know what i don't have to see you for eight hours and i can just like rant about you and not deal with yeah. you i it's just Kids are hard, and if you aren't ready for the work, don't have fucking kids. Yeah. Oh, it makes me so mad how many people are having kids who
0: don't. Yeah, I mean, we talk all the time about how straight people take their kids for granted. So bad. Because it's just a thing that's assumed, and it's so fucking irresponsible. That's all. That's all I had to say. It's just... It's frustrating. I do think it... I really like the relationship between tracy and her mom which i think is helped a lot by holly hunter oh my god just fucking crushing this role as the mom but I, i i always dreamed of having this kind of like close intimate relationship with a parent like i have never i've never been this close to my parents at all and it, it just, this always seemed like a fantasy to me to have a parent you could actually, like, come to and talk about your issues and, like, have people over and not have it be, like, a whole Situation. fucking scene.
2: I don't think I can remember having friends over, like, hardly ever yeah, as either. a teenager. Yeah.
1: It's a beautifully written relationship. And it is, like, Holly Hunter is just Fucking incredible, and like I think the scene where she has like the meltdown and starts like ripping up the floor and like has like you you see her break as so beautiful in like a real because parents aren't allowed to break and they aren't shown as like fragile beings and aren't shown that like it's you can still be a good mom and make mistakes and not be able to regulate yourself sometimes. And, like, I know, like, I I had a I- pretty ideal childhood and it's still, like, my relationship with my mom was not this close until I, uh, now, you know? Yeah. Like, it took a lot for us to be this close and it's not, like, it's amazing to me and, like, it's that kind of, like millennial jealousy of the uh, of like kids now who like have parents who are aware of how to create those relationships and how to like make those uh, conversations more easily accessible because like my parents were the you can come talk to us about everything but like they're still your parents and it's still like
0: and I feel like there in previous generations of parents there was this there's this sort of like false air of like perfection or like That, that parents put on of, like, you know, you have to stop being a person when you become a parent yeah. because you have to be, like, infallible to your kids. But, like, that... It, first of all, like, first of all, that's not a reasonable expectation to set about, like, what being a human being is. And also, like, that's no way to develop a relationship no. with your kids is to like pretend to not be a human being like how many relationships are your kids gonna have with you know god figures in their life well just just your parents
1: like one of my favorite things about teaching is modeling behavior when i am not in control. Like, I've got a kid whose stims very visibly, and so, like, I've stopped hiding my stims, and, like, to sh- like be like, I do this, too, and, like, you Ooh, know, we... So beautiful. Right? We both rock. It's very fun. Um, <laughs> I
0: never got rocking. I'm not oh, a rocker. Man, I've always done... Oh, it's always been flappy hands for me. So I've done silly. flappy hands since I was a little kid. Um, I think this movie is a real testament to... The ends that kids will go to to try and find a group that they feel like they fit in. Oh, yeah, fuck yeah.
2: Like yeah. the number
0: of fucked up things that I have done and that you know kids in general throughout the generations have done, just in the hopes that a handful of people would like and respect them is uh, yeah. yeah. I insane.
2: yeah, and like I definitely only really wanted the weird kids to like me yeah but i was still too weird for a lot of the weird kids same because like i didn't want to like i wasn't going to be one of the hot kids like no nope. like that just wasn't my thing i definitely wasn't one of the popular kids yeah i i know for a fact a lot of the weird kids kept me around because i could find drugs
0: yeah yeah
2: I mean, a large majority of people I know kept me around because I can find drugs.
0: Like, Tracy, in this movie, does the, like, impossible trapeze move that I always hoped was possible. Right, Where you just, like, have to buy some new clothes and commit, like, a tiny bit of petty larceny. And, like, (laughs) suddenly the coolest kids in the school like like you
1: right that was a
0: dream that i had like Same. tracy might as well i have in my notes like tracy might as well be thor for how realistic <laughs> this feels to me yeah. <laughs> you could just that easily swing from like dorky g- good girl who gets good grades to like cool kid like literally overnight right was
2: cool kid with some of the weird kids but again like I didn't yeah really do much to do that I think I was a cool
1: kid. I don't know. 7th and 8th grade, I remember being very, very isolating because I didn't really have a group of friends because I changed schools and I didn't really have a chance to rebuild that community. And, like, I remember, like, I was willing to do anything to, like, you know, I tried so hard to, like, be friends with people and, like, try and be, like, any... You know, like the classic masking, try to be who they want you to be and like trying to like figure out how to be part of that group. And it just never worked. And I was always like, something was wrong. And like, I remember for the longest time having this idea that if I just changed one thing about me, if I Mm -hmm. could just, if I could just become skinnier, if I could just get the right clothes, if I could, you know, just get makeup. And a lot of it I remember. being mad at my mom because, like, it was things that I wasn't allowed to have yet. Like, I wasn't allowed to wear jeans until seventh grade for some reason. Weird. And, like, you know, makeup wasn't a thing that I was able to get access to. And, you know, or, like, trying to figure out, like, uh, body hair uh, removal or, like, anything like that. And I just... It was so isolating and so, like, I really... The way that, like, Tracy kind of, like, folds into herself and into her own world, I really related with. Because it just, like, I feel like, especially at that age, you just, like, you... It's your first taste of independence. And, yeah. I like, having a parent try and be part of that is
0: hard. Yeah. And, like... It's frustrating. It's
1: frustrating. And when, I...
0: Yeah. You're struggling to for that identity and you have a parent who's, like actively trying to hold you back yeah because they know that developing an identity will get pull you further from them yeah yeah and i was gonna say speaking of the skinny thing like i think this probably goes for everyone in this room that like that i developed an eating disorder right around this same yep. time yep For exactly that reason, is I felt like maybe if I was skinny, people would finally like me. And, like, I mean, obviously that's not true. I would still be a fucking dork if I was skinny. But, yeah, it's just so... And also because so many of the girls i knew had eating disorders
2: yeah like it it
0: was almost like a a shared cultural experience to have an eating disorder
2: i think honestly like the first time i can remember like second guessing what my body looks like and being like oh i'm fat fat is bad i was 10 years old Yeah. yeah
0: oh my mine was definitely earlier than that My mom was really good about projecting her eating disorder on me, so I I like remember thinking and being self conscious about how fat I was. Like from some of my earliest memories, like four, five, and six, I can remember people shaming me and feeling guilty about being fat, which is crazy. Because, like, at four, five, and six, even even setting aside the fact that the whole argument about like fat people should make better choices and not be fat, right? Setting aside, right? Setting aside that it doesn't work that way. If you're when you're four, five, and six, what could you possibly be doing that is making you fat? Right? It's not like I was buying myself fucking Taco Bell every day. It's not like I was sitting at a desk working right? a sedentary job like I was four I was running around in the playground and eating school lunch just like every other fucking kid this is just how right. I'm shaped
1: also like especially at that age like How can you take food away, fuel away from that child? Like, that is just going to, like, ruin your kid. That's, like, almost just, like, neglect. It's
2: neglect and abuse.
0: I I specifically remember my mom laying out, like, because, you know, I was, like, a latchkey kid. My parents worked late. So, like, I remember my mom laying out, like, specifically what snacks, like, after-school snacks I was allowed to have and, like, the exact amounts And then she would, like, count the food and make sure I hadn't eaten more than my, like, requisite, like, seven crackers. Like, I couldn't have ten crackers. I had to have seven crackers. Yeah, it was fucking nuts. Not to mention, like, there was just no, like, bad food in the house. We didn't keep any sweets. We didn't keep any sugared cereal. We didn't keep soda, really, like...
2: Peanut butter?
0: Yeah, peanut butter was about the only thing. I actually remember... Being a kid, this is so disgusting. I used to just put peanut butter and just raw granulated sugar in a bowl and sometimes like baker's chocolate, like semi-sweet morsels just because it was like that was literally the only way for me to get like sweets in my like whole existence was just to literally just add sugar to stuff because I wanted sugar and we literally didn't have it in the house. I actually also... This is, this is extra gross. I drank coffee creamer when I was little. Like, just, just like poured it in. Not a lot. Not, like, cups of it. <laughs> but, like, tablespoons of it. Because, again, like, we, we didn't have ice cream. Sweet. We yeah. didn't have candy. We didn't have fucking fruit snacks. So, like, swing a, swing a coffee creamer is the best I could do. Going back to what you said of, like... A
1: cult, it was like a culture that we shared of having an eating disorder oh, yeah i i developed my eating disorder because one of my friends started stealing my food so i wouldn't eat it jesus like that's fucking awful she would steal like i i specifically remember this one incident of like my brother had given me one of those stupid like sugar cookies with the like inch of frosting that the really cheap ones fucking so right. love i love those so one the fact that my brother gave me something was like a huge deal and like yeah so like that was intense but like i just i saved it for my fucking lunch and i like put my stuff down to go to like to go to the bathroom or something and i came back and the whole thing was gone and i was just like where's my fucking cookie and they fucking gaslit me like you didn't have a cookie you know like and like and it was, like, her and her boyfriend at the time, who, which I set them up, by the way, so thank you very much for not being this <laughs> asshole. But uh, it wasn't until we were on the bus ride home that she admitted that she stole the cookie and had her boyfriend hide it in the bathroom so I wouldn't eat it. And then goes, well, at least you just, it's so you don't have to feel guilty when you eat dessert tonight.
0: What like, the fuck?
1: Yeah. Jesus. And, like, I just remember, like... <laughs> Yeah, she, w- we, we were best friends too. And like, there, there's a whole other, she's always pushed her eating disorders onto everyone else. And I remember just like, it just started, like, I, That's when I started my anorexia of like, I would tell my mom I was getting school lunch or Mm. I would just be like, I'm, you know, all the time and I just wouldn't eat or I would like,
0: you
1: know, or I would have an apple at the most or, you know, and it just like, and because it's not how it works, you know, I never got skinnier. I never like, you know, like I was doing all of the things and I remember like I had a friend who was anorexic, and we were because we talked about not eating all the time together. Mm-hmm. And I remember being so jealous that she was losing weight and I wasn't. Yeah. And it was just devastating that like, and it fucking followed me. Yeah. It still follows me. Like the damage that eating disorders do to you is ridiculous. And like rebuilding yeah. that healthy relationship with I food, I still don't I, think I have a healthy. Relationship oh, I, don't, with I definitely food. don't. I don't, and like. I've noticed a lot more now that I live alone that there's, like, not someone to, like, keep an eye on me. You know, like, someone who will notice it that I'm, like... Yeah. A lot of the things will pop up and I'm, like, no, bitch,
0: you gotta eat. Right. And, like, I I struggle with that a lot because, like, because of the way my house was as a kid, I have a lot of, like, shame eating problems. Uh, Yeah. Because, like, there was never good food in my house, so... I used to like steal money from my parents and go to the corner store and buy junk food. And then I would like have to take it to the park and wolf it down and just throw it away. And, and, and throw it away in the public like trash. Cause if they found the trash, I'd get in trouble. So then I would just, yeah, come home and like pretend that I hadn't, you know, just mowed down 2,000 calories and fucking ding-dongs and, and like 7-Eleven hot dogs or whatever.
2: Yeah, that was always my, that was always my like binge food too. When I would like be in active eating disorder, it was like go and get all those snacks and all my favorite things. And then I would just like eat them and eat them and eat them and eat them. And then be like, all right, now I don't have to eat for a few days. Now right. I'm
0: good.
1: Yeah. 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 And it's like, yeah.
2: no, that's not how that works. Yeah. I'm like... Another shitty part of it for me was I was on Adderall for a long time growing up, and because of how Adderall works, if you're not nourishing your body, you are losing weight because it activates your metabolism so much. Right. So I was doing all of this restricting on top of taking Adderall and losing weight, and then just hearing all around me like, "Oh, you look so great! You right. look so good!" And That's, it's like, yeah. Cool.
0: Kind of the worst part of having an eating disorder is that the culture just reinforces it Absolutely. over and over. And the worse you get, the more praise you get from people around you.
1: And it, yeah, and then it's a whole cycle. And, and
2: especially around that age, just like having your body, like having anybody interact with your body in like a desirable yeah. kind of way. Like yeah,
0: when you're like a ch- literally a child,
2: it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. it's awful like i know for a fact that my mom's sisters are absolutely at play for my eating disorder for how i view my body for how i view a lot of things like i can remember everybody thinks because i have a large chest they can just make comments about it and talk about it and like femmes especially love to just touch it (sighs) and my aunt Beth, I remember clearly yes. one Christmas, she, I was wearing, like, a lower-cut top. <laughs> it was super cute. It was one of my favorite shirts. And she came up to me and put her fingers in my cleavage and wiggled it around and saying something about how big-chested fuck? I was. I had to have been either 13 or 14. Jesus, fuck. Yeah. Because at 13, I was in a D-cup.
1: Right. Oh, shit. Yeah. And I that must have been a fun growing process. I'm so sorry. I went
2: from an A to a D pretty much overnight. Jesus. Yeah. I went from no
0: titties to all the titties. Your poor body. And I just think especially with like femme children, the the like depersonalizing and the like lack of autonomy around your body like starts immediately. Like oh, yeah. it starts so, so early. early the people commenting on your body touching your body without asking like you know commenting on your attractiveness or lack thereof like it's so gross it's like there are truly not a lot of things that i am, am glad that i didn't go through as like not having a femme childhood but that is like a bullet i feel like i dodged where I truly just can't imagine, like, I don't know a single, like, AFAB person who wasn't catcalled at some point when they were in middle or high school, like, as a child. My aunt
2: told me, same aunt told me that I had soft-looking lips and bedroom eyes when I was either 12 or 13. Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, I... It's disgusting how much family pushes eating disorders on you, because... It wasn't my aunt's, but it was my grandmother who fucking was one of the biggest contributors to my eating disorder because, like, I played sports in high school, Mm -hmm. right? And when I wasn't playing sports, there was, like, no praise, no communication, no... If I started playing sports, she would make visits to come watch me play. And, like, I remember walking down... Like, coming downstairs... I, like the first morning we like didn't see her when we came in because it was so late and like the first comment she makes to me oh you're getting your curves back because i had just sta- i literally started softball that week Jesus. fuck off grandma i mean this is also the same grandmother who tried to bribe me to lose weight when i was 12
2: Yikes. yeah yeah i've definitely had that before yeah and it's for your health and it's like I am I take you on a shopping spree if you lose some weight. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah well, like we all we know now that like Dieting is way 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 worse for your health than being obese could ever be Yeah, oh, yeah. Even if there is any evidence to show that obesity is complicating on other medical problems, which it doesn't actually seem to be that data doesn't seem to prove out really. right
1: yeah yeah uh, you know and like i this was like something that i put, didn't put together until i was older of like how generational my eating disorders and my yeah. body images were because yeah. like i wasn't allowed to wear tank tops or like show off my arms because right. my mom It was inappropriate or, you know, like you don't need to show that off, which I didn't calculate to my grandmother always talking about how her arm like, you know, she called them her bat wings and like always. But like it also like it's always this guise of we're trying to make you better or like we're trying to do it for your benefit. But like I I was on Weight Watchers when I was like 15 and that is like the fuck like yeah. even the fact it, that there's
0: a teen weight watchers program is literally a crime
1: right like it's i don't care what your intentions were any kind of like making your child ashamed of their body at any point is especially not okay. when they're so
0: young and their right? brains are so plastic and they just absorb and internalize literally every message around them cuz that's what their brains are doing at that right. point it's just fucking disgusting I want to talk about yes, I do. Uh, the the uncomfortable relationship between Tracy and Evie. Um, yeah. Because it's complicated and I very, have a lot of thoughts about very it. Very complicated. Yeah. Because, like, I-, I didn't realize the first time I watched this, maybe because I didn't yet realize I too was a lesbian, but, like, Evie is so obviously in love with Tracy. Yeah. And, like,. Obviously just wants to be in a romantic relation, an intimate romantic relationship together, but is either so uncomfortable with her own queerness or so unaware of it that she just can't bring herself to do that. And it's yeah, it just shows at like every point there's there's a scene where. They're both with their, like, boyfriend or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they literally just, like, start making out with them. But they're, like, looking at each other the whole time. And I was like, just fuck. Like, it's fine. Just have sex with each
2: other. Just have
0: sex with each other. I feel like this whole relationship would be so much healthier if they just had sex.
2: Or just, like, admitted that they liked each other and that they were some kind of
0: queer right or yeah yeah even just admitted that that's what this relationship is right because I feel like so much of it and so much of the trap that they get into is just like trying to pretend that their relationship is anything other than what it is especially because I feel like in the name of not having a romantic relationship that contributes to the escalation of the drugs right because like it gives them an excuse to spend all their time together and it gives them a way to be out of their brains enough to not feel the dissonance right. of being in love with your best friend which yeah. fucking sucks I can tell you. Oh, it's yeah. the
1: worst. I think it's a universal queer. Experience
0: <laughs> it's a universal queer, queer experience to fall in love with your best friend.
1: Yeah. <sighs> but yeah. yeah, I
0: But then also the other thing I wanted to say and then I will stop talking, is um that it's definitely also like an abusive relationship. Yeah, it is. And it's clear that, you know, because Evie comes from an abusive background, she knows no other way right. to be in a relationship She's other than a
2: manipulator out of necessity. Right, exactly. That's how she survived.
0: Exactly. And but it just shows, you know, that like, you know, when Tracy's not allowed to have like any independence and then when as soon as Tracy sets a hard boundary and actually holds to it, Evie evaporates. Yeah. Right. Because like that's the one thing abusers can't stand is real hard boundaries because the whole thing about being an abuser is breaking down the other person's boundaries so that you could do whatever you want.
1: I do agree that like, this was like, they definitely are in love with each other and it's this whole romantic relationship. But I also think it's a really interesting portrayal of like showing that friends can be abusive and it's not just oh, romantic partners. Absolutely. And like, especially at that age. Right. Yeah. Cause like you don't, Look out for your friends for those signs. You don't think about like how much energy they take out of you because you have like you just there's no communication about how friendship should look or what right. a healthy friendship looks like. Yeah, and you know, so many of us let our friends or like uh, we're shitty to our friends because like we didn't know any better or right. we didn't think that it could be abusive because it was a friendship and not a romantic relationship. Right.
2: Absolutely. I know that I've definitely like
1: been on both
2: sides of that. Yeah, yeah, same.
0: Definitely. And I feel like maybe this is stretching, but I don't think I'm wrong. I, I definitely feel like a part of the reason we have such a hard time with like knowing what healthy friendships look like is In part, we don't teach social and emotional learning Mm -hmm. to kids. That's a big part of it. But also, so many people, especially straight people, especially from older generations, don't have adult friends. No. Right? They find a spouse or they found a spouse when they were 18 or 19 or 20 and then that's the only person that they interacted with. I know, I don't think, I can maybe think of one friend of my parents from when I was growing up. Yeah, maybe one and like that also is like of course your kids aren't going to know how to model a healthy friendship if they don't see any adult friendships that aren't you know romantic
1: and yeah we also like in our media we do not pr- like put any kind of stock into platonic relationships right. and it's always again i think we'll talk about this a lot when the next episode with twilight but like the need to be in a romantic relationship and the like pushing that that is the only kind of relationship that will fulfill you right oh yeah and i think is Right, which I think we see a lot with Tracy and Evie of like constantly trying to like find boys to like, you know, have a relationship with or be right. in some kind of relationship that looks like a romantic one because that's what's going to fill the hole yeah. instead of being able to look at each other and be like, uh-oh, oh, oh. Right. Oh. right.
2: This, this has very little to go off of. But when the fuck was acid $4 a hit that
0: wasn't like <laughs> the 90s? Yeah, $4, we both turned to each other and we were like when what? have you ever paid four dollars a hit for acid i
2: think the cheapest i've ever paid for acid was like seven
0: yeah and that was probably acid huh it was in like 2003
2: 2004 yeah i just
0: feel like inflation you know like, yeah i think mean, like
2: now we pay i pay ten dollars 10
0: maybe sometimes 12 or 15 that to be seen, a fucking joke tab yeah <laughs> I've definitely paid twelve, but yeah. I feel like ten is pretty standard these days.
2: Yeah. Trying acid at 13 years old. Um, I'm just gonna tell you right now, I don't fucking recommend. Yeah. Yeah, it seems
0: like a bad I, idea. I do think that You are not ready. No. I do think that not in childhood, maybe in early adulthood. Right. That a person I feel like everybody should do a couple of grams of mushrooms with a therapist yeah. at some point in their early adulthood because truly just the opportunity to think in a way that your brain doesn't think and to understand the idea that, like, it is possible for brains to think in a way that your brain doesn't normally think mm-hmm. is eye-opening. Like, yeah. that changed me the first time I did psychedelics. Yeah, Of absolutely. just like, oh, like... You know, people make jokes about, like, you know, seeing God or, like, understanding some mystical thing. And, like, I think all of that stuff can just be contributed, attributed to, like, you know, that's what your brain does when you flood it with serotonin. Right. But I do think that there's a real underlying message about, like, we are not that different. No. Right? Like, our brains are all just wired, like, 1% differently and it changes the way we look at the world. But, like... That's not even as different, like, you and I's brains are not even as different as my brain sober and my brain on right. psychedelics.
2: Right, yeah. I just think we're also, like, you get such a bigger understanding of yourself and how you move through the world, at least for me, when I, like, cycle through things on mushrooms now, like... yeah. It's, it's a lot of processing. Yeah. It's a lot of deep thought. It's, it's a lot of introspection, and that's why I
0: think it should be with a therapist. Absolutely, absolutely. I feel like, like the, that first, one time. the first, the first, and especially the first three or four times I did mushrooms, I needed someone there to help me process. Because yeah, it just will pick something, pick some trauma from your childhood, pick some weird memory and suddenly it's the only thing you can think about and all you can do is tumble it over and over and over in your head.
1: And you should have a mandatory follow-up session for the next month to process it continuously because you can't just walk away from it. You can't. But like, I I completely agree and I think that, you know, psychedelics are an interesting way to disconnect and process your life and I think We don't, I'm not condoning children doing drugs, but (laughs) But. (laughs) we don't offer our children a way to disconnect and process childhood and they are just constantly in the middle of it and like wanting to escape that and wanting to feel something different or to feel something at all if you're a depressed teenager or like, you know, having a chance to escape is necessary and in our worlds right now the and back then the only option seems to be drugs right. that was that was mine yeah. right
0: like it's just the easiest fastest route to not be in your world for a little I while
1: i just
2: wanted to feel anything but what i was feeling like right. I was an undiagnosed bipolar, undiagnosed PTSD from my childhood. I have borderline personality disorder, and nobody wanted to confront those things. And so I tried to run away from it as hard as I could. Yeah. Yeah. And drugs was the easiest escape. Right. How someone of my age not only knew where to get, but could secure the kinds and amounts of drugs I was doing, I don't understand, but like I was also hanging out with people who were, when I was 13, that were 19, 20, 21. Right. People that I definitely shouldn't have been around. People
0: who should have known better than to hang out with, like, a child. Yeah.
2: And not even just to hang out with a child, but to be giving this child drugs. Serious drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, through all of my friends, I, at 13, I had tried, I tried meth in my friend's basement. I did mushrooms, I started drinking at 13. That was one of the biggest important things for me
1: Yeah.
2: that is, was very life changing and yeah. very instrumental in my self
0: destruction. Yeah.
2: Cause that's ultimately what it was.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, I definitely think that, I mean, I just want to piggyback on that really quick before I change topics, which is to say A lot of us trans people start doing drugs as a way to run away from the revelation of being trans. Oh, yeah. I know some of the most... The times that I've struggled the hardest with addiction in my life are times where I have been trying not to admit something to myself about myself.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think the only thing that saved me from... Uh, going down that rabbit hole Was I didn't have friends. I also had sports. Yeah, right, I that did. Helps. I, that helps. It's if I it. had been able
2: to afford sports or been, you know, interested in anything other than unaliving myself, I probably would have made it out pretty well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I did the classic overbook myself with uh, extracurricular so you I never, never have, have to, to think. think. Yeah, which is
2: just as harmful.
1: Right, which is why I had a breakdown in my sophomore year because I was doing. Three shows. I did, you know, three theater shows that year. I did competitive robotics. I did softball. I did volleyball. Jesus. I was taking AP classes. You know, like I completely overbooked myself.
0: And, and just... I mean, that's the classic capitalist drug. Right? right. It's like, I mean, that's what everyone does now as adults because we were raised that way. It's just like, well, if you're working 70 hour weeks and you also go to the gym and you also yada, yada, yada then you never have time to think about how fucking miserable you are yeah i think a lot of the a lot of the trouble that we get in with drugs it comes back to this like abstinence only oh, approach where i'm not like you said i'm not advocating for kids doing drugs however if we had honest conversations with our kids about like yeah drugs are fun and like yes you will probably want to try them and like you know here's a way that you can try them in a controlled environment right with dosage that you know is okay and then in in a supervised way so that you understand and like you said so that you have an outlet and so that you understand how like powerful these things are and how they need to be respected because like when the only message you ever get is like just say no Then when you finally don't say no, there's no other rules. No. You've broken... You say, why not? Right. And then at that point, you're probably getting the drugs from some sketchy people. You're probably, you know, doing more than you should. You're probably doing all kinds of unsafe things because there's no responsible people in the room. Right. No. No. Whereas if you just, like, you know, in a lot of other countries... That aren't the u.s and basically everywhere that's not the u.s the drinking age is significantly less than 21 right yeah it's either 18 almost everywhere or in a lot of places it's like 16 14 12 something like that yeah and like i i truly think that that's a big part of it where like american culture is so puritanical that we just refuse to acknowledge that our kids are gonna do stuff like that whereas if you started kids drinking at an early age that sounds terrible when i say (laughs) it like that you start introducing alcohol at an early age and start teaching responsibility and teaching kids to gauge how a thing makes them feel and whether or not they actually want to continue with the thing Irrespective of the peer pressure from your friends, who are always going to make you like want to do more crazier stuff, because that's how teenage brains are.
1: Yeah, my parents did it the right way, and like you know, we could drink if they were like they would offer us beer or something if we were out and we wanted to try it.
2: Gosh, my parents would never, right? And no, like
1: we, I knew where the alcohol cabinet was, and like uh, my parents, you um... know, I also like. <laughs> For those of you who have been to Wisconsin and know the drinking culture <laughs> in Wisconsin, it's like intense. it's intense. And like I, you know, like I didn't have alcoholic parents, but like I, had, my parents drank, and I remember seeing their friends drink, and I like saw everyone drink. And it just, like, made it very unappealing to me, even, and it was offered to me and, and demonized, so right. I could be, like, that's just not my thing. Right. And it still is, like, I just, oh, I'm not a drinker anymore. Anyway. Drinking was
2: hush-hush for my mom's family. Yeah, my That too. was a no-no subject, and I think that created so much allure to it for me. Same. Whereas, like, with my dad's family, like, nobody asked me if I wanted a drink uh-huh. or anything, but, like, my uncles drank, they had fun, they would get drunk while we were at the lake house, and... Let us play with fireworks and shit. Right. Which hindsight, twenty twenty, that was a bad. Idea.
1: <laughs> Working on State Street really made me not want to drink ever. Yeah,
0: I <laughs> Jesus, I mean, I think Wisconsin has. Oh, man, if you've never been to Wisconsin, I don't. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I do think you should do it because, like, our cities have. Some of the most densely packed bars of anywhere I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah, Like the little, the little town I'm from, there's like this little like park, like, you know, square, like public square where like the, the flea market or not the flea market, like the farmer's market happens. Yeah. And literally every building around the outside of the square is a bar. Yeah. There's probably 25, 30 bars on that one block. Yeah. So you can get too drunk at one bar and keep getting thrown out, and you'll never even make the full circuit around. Yeah. You could just keep going to different bars and keep getting overserved I, over and over again.
2: I do not need that in my life.
0: I didn't really start drinking till I was like
1: 18, 19. Then, but like I started drinking because my coworkers invited me to the bar that was across the street. And they, the whole thing was they don't card. Right. So you can come drink with us. Yeah. Which is like you're on a college campus how fucking irresponsible yeah how incredibly
0: you like, also- cause you know like if you are near a college campus and you don't card you're just saying I'm totally fine with children drinking here like I'm totally fine with underage people drinking here yeah and while I'm fine with you know underage people drinking i'm not fine with them just doing it en masse under their own power right because they can't they can't i was also definitely over sorry we that bar yeah of course too Many were. times
2: a lot of bartenders like very good responsible bartenders will not overserve you yeah shitty ones will, will because they know you'll tip more the more drunk you get
0: yeah those i those are
2: always like the really scuzzy dude bartenders though yeah
0: yeah. I always felt I mean like one of the things when you when you take your like bartender certification like basically 75% of it is like how to not overserve people and I always took that shit so fucking seriously because first of all it's an incredible fine if somebody like gets into an accident right. and they were overserved at your bar but also like I'm not here to destroy people's lives no. like if you want to destroy your life, do it at home. Right. Like I I mean also when I was a bartender, I worked at like a, a restaurant and like a nice one. So, that people weren't coming there to get sloshed. But like I was like we are you are here to have dinner. I you don't need to have, you know, 12 double vodka uh, vodka red bulls or whatever.
1: No. The amount of people who let me walk home drunk as drunk as I was in a college campus is irresponsible, especially yeah. as a FEM person yeah like I cannot like I can I cannot count how many times I had to deal with creeps following me home from that bar and like and I was pro and like again, I was 18 19, I was a yeah. child yeah. and like see I was hanging out with those creeps.
2: When, like, when yeah. I was younger.
1: Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. And I, I I think it's still... It was just, like, growing up in that culture is a huge reason why I don't drink now. And, yeah. You know. That's I, super understandable. Just, like, yeah. I, it's hard to explain to people, like, how intense the drinking culture is in Wisconsin when you haven't been there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, like...
0: Explain. And it's tr- it's truly not like any place no. I've ever been. Like no. if if trust me, if you are listening to this and you are not from Wisconsin and you're thinking, oh I I get it, we dr-, no no you truly don't understand. Like the only way I have to illustrate it, other than the bar density, is Wisconsin is the only state in all of the United States where a DUI is a traffic ticket. Yeah, I was. Just it's saying- not a misdemeanor. It's not a felony it's a traffic violation. I cannot count how many
1: friends I have seen walk what? away from DUIs. It doesn't it
0: doesn't become a crime like a misdemeanor until you get 3 DUIs in Wisconsin. Yeah. So like and and like I know a half dozen people at least who have had multiple DUIs to the point where they've had their license taken away. And it still
1: took like five or six. Yeah,
0: to do and it. they were drinking like that for probably five or six years. Some, some of them, ten years before they got to that point.
1: Yeah. I can imagine
2: if I knew how to drive, I would be one of those people. Yeah, which is I mean, another reason why I held back on getting my license because, like, I didn't care.
0: I didn't right. care anymore. That's also like another big. I mean another selling point for mass for better mass public transit is like a big part of Wisconsin's problem is that it's so spread out you have to drive to go to the bar there's just literally no buses there's literally no trains it there's no I mean I think they just got lift like last year Yeah cuz uh,
1: I remember being and we were back in Madison which is like one of the main cities and it still took like the, there was like two lifts. Yeah, it took it like 25
0: thing? minutes for an Uber to come. What the
1: fuck? Yeah. And this was like 2017, 2016. Yeah. Five
0: years ago. Yeah. They they just got like Uber and Lyft recently. So, like, your only option is to drink and drive. Like, you don't have another they choice. They just want
2: you to be responsible. Irresponsible, that's what I meant. Yeah. Rules yeah. are hard. I
0: was actually about to say Do you want to do a lightning round?
2: The father referring to Tracy As a client when he was on the phone Oof Oof. Her
1: father
0: Yeah her her father father is a piece of work
2: Fucking jag off
0: Yeah I'm just so Over parents who Just like think that their parenting (laughs) Responsibility ends At like feeding and clothing their child
2: I feel so grateful To have the father that i had because like so many of the themes throughout this movie that tracy went through and experienced like i have firsthand experience in those things i've been through so much shit i my addiction and self-harm and poor psychiatric mental health all those things combined my dad never once gave up on me my dad never once made me feel like less than his child like I don't think I would have been able to get where I was without having that supportive parent. Yeah. And I didn't really see it as that growing up. And looking back on that with, like, different eyes and being able to see that now that I'm older, like... Because I was always... When I was that... When I was 13, I was so convinced my dad was the bad guy. And he never was. Like, I listened... My mom didn't say nice things about him in front of us. And his rule was... My kids don't hear bad things about their mom. Yeah. And I let her thoughts and what I thought was right really skew that. And that really, really hurt me in the long run. Yeah.
0: Same. I had, yeah, the exact same situation where my mom poisoned me against my dad for a long time and none of it was earned. Right. Like none of it was real. My dad wasn't
2: the neglectful parent. Right.
0: Right. He just was the enemy, and so she decided he had to be taken down.
2: Right, and, like, I know a lot of it wasn't done out of malice and out of her own frustration about how things were going, but, like... Still bad. How badly tainted my relationship was with my father for so many years. Because of spite. Exactly. Out of spite. Out of spite. Yeah. And that's it out of spite and out of not being able to process her own trauma
0: right right
2: when in reality my dad wasn't the neglectful parent she was right
0: and like how much trauma is literally just parents inability to process their own trauma they push it onto their kids yeah like all of it basically like 90 percent you know yeah I really don't like the way this movie opens. It's truly one of the, like, clangs for me. Yeah. Because it starts... Because it shows its hand. Yeah. Right? Like, it tells you in the first 30 seconds where this movie is going. And I feel like it would be so much more upsetting and so much more compelling if we didn't know the end state of this movie when we started, if we... And if we use those first 30 seconds to do more establishing with how good and sweet and naive Tracy is, so that we could really go through the experience with her of, like, where's this going to end? Where's this going to turn up? Like, all of this stuff is a surprise where... When we start off seeing them already whacked out of their minds at the beginning, you know that that's where we're gonna get at the end. So mm-hmm. you sort of expect you sort of see it coming the whole time right. And the gut punch that that scene would be if you didn't know it was coming. yeah, would be
1: <sighs>
0: incredible. And maybe that I mean maybe, maybe
1: that's why that's
0: why that scene is there at the beginning. Is to be like, be ready. It's, this is it's what we're trigger in for. Warning. It's basically. But I, I don't know. I feel like the movie suffers from it. Yeah. Because it loses some of that, like, you know. Yeah, totally. Thoracity.
1: Totally. On um, a less critical note, $2 tip for your hairdresser is bullshit and you need to do better.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's, like, laughable.
1: Yeah. Like, especially if she's feeding
2: you.
0: Yeah, right? That's some fucking shit.
2: I wouldn't, like, I don't, I think I tipped my barista more than $2. Right?
0: On a $4 latte, I tipped them more than $2. Well, I drink oat milk, so my lattes are never $4. Right? You know what I mean? It's not real. I'm gay. I can't buy a $4 latte.
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) This might be just a me thing, but the you're always drinking fight yeah that hit me so fucking hard that was a gut punch for me yeah because that was a constant fight i had with my mom because i lived with my mom full time and i mean she wasn't an idiot and i i didn't care and so that was a constant fight i had with her was you're always drinking yeah well what are you going to do about it nothing yeah yeah and but
0: uh, but at no point was the like you're always drinking never turned into, is something wrong? How can I help? What's going on? Why are you drinking all the time? I
2: mean, we definitely had those conversations, but there was, like, so little follow-through on, like, yeah what to do, or, like, I would go to therapy, and I didn't want to talk to my therapist, but there was, like, my parents wouldn't be in my therapy sessions. We (laughs) didn't really talk about that. We had a social worker for two sessions who, I don't know what happened after that, and, like, I do have to admit that at some point I just stopped being receptive to things but that's because where were you? Right. Right. How did you show up? Right. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Totally. The introduction to the mom's boyfriend I think was brilliant. It's just him showing up at the door and going can I put this shit in your garage? And I feel like that was like such a wonderful way to show how his character was gonna be. Yeah.
0: And it's like it shows another kind of like Like we were talking about earlier, like, kind of the shitty thing about living in, like, the cool house is that sometimes people just show up and say, hey, can I drop my stuff here? Yeah. Hey, I need to crash on your couch. And you kind of don't have the ability to say, like, no, that makes me uncomfortable.
1: Right. You know, it being the safe house ends up a lot of times not knowing how to set boundaries because you know, like... Especially if you are a compassionate person. Because you know that, like, this is a safe space and you need it. And how right. can I say no to I you no in, like... In your time of need. And especially, like, as a teenager who wanted to get out of their house but had friends who also needed to get out of their house, like, I couldn't really... I felt so guilty for being, like, no, we can't go to my place. Or, like, I need to get out of my place. And, like, how can I complain about my living situation when yours is so much worse and like not yeah, yeah it yeah it's it's weird it's weird all right this one is a little dark but uh <laughs> i apologize but uh i also used the tiny nail scissors to still form and i thought that was
0: I thought that was just a you thing that was
1: just a me thing and that was that was that was also how i started <sighs> oof But, yeah, uh, that was... I mean, I guess
0: it's easier than taking apart the head of a razor.
1: Remember, I
2: didn't... That was my... That was my go-to. I didn't have razors. I always had to use a tweezers to break
1: it, though. I didn't have razors at my house because I wasn't allowed to change my
0: life. Interesting. (laughs) See, I'm pretty sure we just had the, like, straight... The, like, hardware razor with the, like, rounded back edge. Yep, yep. Yeah. Anyway.
2: Why is there no other conversation about the ptsd that tracy has from her mom's boyfriend's active addiction right holy shit there's like a little blip showing what happened but there's no actual conversation around that there's no No, conversation her mom has with her and how the fuck you gonna let that man back in your life when your daughter is clearly not okay with it yeah
0: yeah yeah again it's like that's the problem with Prioritizing and glorifying romantic relationships over your, like, you know, familial and friendship ones. And, like, is like yeah.
1: And as a child, trying to set a boundary, being like, I'm not comfortable with this, this can't happen, and having your parent overrule it and be like, just get used to it, I'm sorry, this is going to happen, is such bullshit. It makes you
0: feel like you have no agency. It
1: really does.
0: Which also would lead you, or could lead you, to do things like doing drugs and alcohol because at least that's something you have some agency in right like, and you know think, your
2: parent will pay attention to
0: it and i think that's why a lot of us self-harm too right it's yeah. like it's something you can control and like you said it's something that will actually get you attention like intoxicating and it, i absolutely. that was definitely a thing for me was like i just needed anyone to notice that i existed and if i was obviously self-harming Then, like, somebody had to pay attention to me.
1: Yeah. For me, it was definitely a control thing. Like, I... And I remember being, like, Tracy's frustration and, like, feeling of, like, being invaded because her mom finds out of self-harming was really true. I feel, like, true. Like, I remember it being, like, I... Sure, I'm doing it for attention, but also this is a me thing. And, like, how dare you be part of it? And this is... But I also, like... Not just control, but it was some way I was able to solidify myself into my life as like someone who you know was gaslit about your my emotions about things that were happening in my life to like have a solid like proof of something is real.
2: See and like. I kind of had a very different experience with, like, my parents finding out, like, my mom was obviously, like, upset uh, the first time she knew that I had, like, self-harmed and, like, major trigger warning, like, a few months after that, I ate a bunch of pills and tried to overdose and they, the doctors wanted to admit I had to go to the hospital and drink charcoal and the hospitals wanted to admit me. And my parents said no and that I did it because I wanted attention. Yikes. Yeah, I remember that very clearly. Yikes. And then from that point on, about every six months until I was in my mid-twenties, I was in the psych ward.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: All that rehab.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure there was some of this, but like, the processing of that trauma and the neglect that led you to doing those things, I'm sure was less examined than it probably should have been. I
2: just wanted somebody to look at me so bad.
0: Yeah. And like, that's what happens when you have neglectful parents. Like you and I shared the, have that experience in common. Like when you have parents who don't care, like the, the relationship when you're a kid, like, the only relationship that matters, the only one you truly cherish is the one with your parents. And, like, if your parents don't give you that back, it's so gutting and, like, so... I just remember feeling, like, so alone and so lost as a kid because I didn't have the ability to go to my parents with stuff that, like... Of course I was gonna do something crazy to try and get attention. Like I I need like kids need not want need attention from their parents to like exist and function and be like adult human beings. Here this is something a little bit lighter. The we we gotta talk about the we can talk about both of them at the same time probably the the piercing scenes in this movie oh yeah oh yeah because the are thing, you smoking in a tattoo shop <laughs> that was the thing that made me the most crazy was like first of all this tattoo shop is so sketchy that they don't even want like a parent signature which is fucked up uh, and second of all. The barbell that he's going to put in her tongue is not in autoclave packaging at all. There's an autoclave on the shelf behind it, So clearly he owns one, but it's not in the packaging. And she takes, picks it up and handles it and he doesn't replace it. He doesn't autoclave it. He doesn't even sanitize it. Is this thing sanitary? <laughs> <laughs> like, what's I... I try not to be, like, a squicky germs person.
1: But when it comes to piercing, But when it comes to
0: open wounds, feel like that's pretty important.
1: Yeah, that whole scene. That thing
0: made me fucking crazy. And the same thing when they did the belly button later with just, like, the fucking sewing needle or whatever. That's
2: not big enough. It's, it's not, not gauge big of, mm,
0: it's, Yeah, it's but not big enough. Like, it's not sterile conditions. The ring's not sterile. Like... Running a a, little nasty Running skin. a flame over a, over a sewing needle does not make it sterile. Like no. that's not that's nothing.
1: Like sewing needles aren't even big enough to pierce your ears correctly. What are you gonna like the belly button's not gonna do shit? I got my ears pierced with safety pins. And then I found
2: out that I was allergic to the
1: belly
2: Can we all laugh that when they tried to do an intervention with her, they did it with a psychic? Oh my right. God. Holy Brings shit!
0: A, name a person less useful in a mental health crisis Honestly, than a psychic? It made it so Dog much trainer, maybe? Maybe I think maybe even that would be more helpful than it a psychic. Made it so
2: much more easier for me to actually like witness that happening with it being a psychic. Because like, man, my parents tried intervention shit on me time and time again. Like, yeah, they wanted to send me to Minnesota Teen Challenge. No. That was not accurate. I definitely needed a large amount of therapy.
0: Yeah.
2: But sending me away was
1: not the best choice they could have done. Yeah. Um, I think Evie is such a good example of why you need to have consequences for children's actions and hold yeah. them responsible for their actions yeah. because her predatoriness in relationships is never called out and it's right. never held in and it is so gross
0: even though you can tell that people see it right they just don't care they don't know, they don't care they feel like they're not allowed to say something i don't know.
1: yeah it it was bullshit and i really it it just made me very angry yeah hold children responsible for their actions right
2: oh The getting sent to live with your dad, that was always my biggest threat from my mom. Well, I'm going to send you to live with your dad.
1: That's what a child needs, an unstable living situation. Right.
2: That's also why I didn't get to view my father as positively as I should have Because he was only ever a threat. Exactly.
0: That's that's fucked up. That's no way to treat a kid. Like, I get... You get divorced and you're bitter At your ex Like how could you not be at least a little bit bitter Right But like uh, Your children don't get to see that Right to put that on your kid
1: That's fucked up
0: Is Yeah fucked up
1: Your problems in your marriage should not be your child's fault Or anything to do with your child Yo
2: I wasn't even old enough to remember that shit Yeah You gotta bring it up So I do remember it so now we have further fucking problems Right Right how many of my problems could have been avoided by you just not talking to me about that until I was old enough to process it? Ooh, I think we just hit another soft spot. <laughs> we, need um, a, we need a you need a set
1: like a siren. You yeah, need it. a
0: little siren for when that happens, because or a little bell or something. <laughs> this is just a this is nothing, but I thought it was funny. Don't don't drink the weird juice.
2: Yes, I have too if if you
0: don't trust the guy with the weird juice like if you're not he's gonna try to get you to suck his dick (laughs) don't drink the weird juice just don't like yeah i don't take first of all don't take drugs from anybody you don't trust but also just don't drink weird stuff strangers and you because it's definitely like ghb or something oh
2: absolutely
0: which because like
2: in small doses Great, awesome! If you know what you're getting into with GHB. Yeah, and
0: you drink Sometimes. a cap full of it, like you're supposed to.
2: Someone gives you a fucking bottle of strange, weird juice, and he looks like that.
0: Run Especially the fuck if away. he's an adult man yeah. giving drinks to a female child. Like, run, run fast, run away.
2: Yeah, and then yeah. getting catcalled by her brother right
0: after. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah expecting your child to spill their guts to you just because you asked them to
0: yeah
1: like i like i do appreciate holly hunter's character and like how much she fought for her children like that's totally. but like when your child is so clearly trying to pull away and have their own experiences and then going what's wrong you never talk to me you know like forcing that conversation it's not gonna work right and it's just going
0: to end up blowing up. This is why kids need a therapist. Exactly. Because they need a third party who is objective to be able to talk about their life with who's not going to get offended. Exactly. Right? Because so much of the problem is when you bring something to your parents, they are human beings, and so they take it personally. And they're going to react. And they react, and that's not what you need, and it's not conducive to... To actually being able to feel and communicate your feelings. And like I have in my notes like one of the central struggles of being a teenager. And especially of being like some sort of non-standard teenager. Whether you're trans or mentally ill or neurodivergent or whatever. Like is that you don't have the tools to communicate what you're feeling. Right. What your needs are. Like you're doing stuff like getting drunk to not feel your feelings before you even realize what that that's what you're trying to do yeah and it, it yeah it just is so unhelpful to then also like force unwanted conversation on your kids or to not listen to the things your kids say because it just disincentivizes already difficult communication yeah. with your kids
2: can we just talk about how tactless and brazen they were with stealing? Oh, my God. Y'all didn't Jesus. even try to hide that shit? Yeah. Like, yeah. I stole, and I know I was stupid about it, but, like, I feel like you what?
0: weren't. I feel like you weren't a teenager if you didn't steal at least just once or twice just to see if you could get away with oh, it. Oh, man,
2: I stole so much shit because we didn't have money. Right. And so I stole the clothes that I wanted and the things I wanted, and then it all came
0: See, through. I was such a rule follower as a kid. Sam. I mean, I'm still kind of a rule follower, unfortunately. I make your brain scream, don't I? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it's just like the once or twice that I stole from a store, it just made me, like, so incredibly anxious and terrified that, like, I practically shit my pants when I got out of the store. I mean, and I stole was from Walmart the other day. Not worth it. I mean, now as an adult... See, here's the thing.
2: You're allowed to steal from Walmart.
0: Now that I'm an adult who understands what a broken system capitalism is, and especially how big box stores, like, don't care, and they're just using all that money to enrich their shareholders. Fuck them. Steal so much fucking shit from Walmart. Steal everything from Walmart.
2: Especially Walmart.
0: Yeah, especially Walmart.
2: Fuck the Walton family.
0: But if you steal... From your local, family-owned convenience store? I will come to your house and murder you myself. Those people need that money. I'll
2: rip out your toenail.
0: You give them every cent that they deserve for those fucking corn nuts.
1: Or I will fight you. Or I will fight you. Steal from corporations, not mom and pop shops. Right, not people. Was every depressed teenager a poet?
0: I mean, I was uh, going to say, raise your hand if this statement applies to you. There are three hands in the air. Yeah, yeah.
1: I was like, oh, I yeah.
0: Yeah, I definitely had like a whole notebook full of shitty eight line poetry. Oh, yeah.
1: And it
2: it was, uh, I can tell you exactly that. I made sure to color these, like, the sniffing, sniffing smell uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I would do a ton of Adderall, because I would just save up my Adderall, and then just fucking eat them all in one night. Cool. Not all of them, but, but many bunch. of them. And I would color every other line in the notebook a different color. Jesus. Oh, boy. I would spend hours up at night doing that shit.
0: <laughs> That's Adderall for you. <laughs>
2: Hey! And then I would write a poem on it. I'm so deep and dark. No one understands me. And
0: I don't know any rhyming scheme that's not (laughs) (laughs) A-A-B-B-C-C-D-D.
2: Hello, and welcome to my devastating...